Today, we will discuss an approach to the most common endocrine disorder in people with ovaries of reproductive age. It is a syndrome first described in 1721 by an Italian scientist named Antonio Vellisneri. He described it as a married, infertile woman with shiny ovaries with a white surface and the size of pigeon eggs. This was one of the first descriptions of the syndrome now more commonly known as polycystic ovary syndrome, or PCOS for short. Despite the early discovery, it was not until the early 2000s at a conference in Rotterdam that a consensus statement was drawn to establish the now widely utilized diagnostic criteria. Also coined the Rotterdam criteria, PCOS is a syndrome characterized in people with ovaries by the presence of at least two of the following. Clinical or biochemical signs of excess androgen, irregular or absent menstruation, and or multiple cysts in the ovaries that may or may not grow into the size of pigeon eggs. Today, our patient has polycystic ovarian syndrome, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast written by medical residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is titled, An Approach to PCOS. Time for our minute physiology. While the pathophysiology of PCOS is still a matter of debate, let us first review the normal hypothalamic pituitary ovarian access to understand proposed mechanisms. In the hypothalamus, gonadotropic releasing hormone or GNRH is released in a pulsatile fashion and travels to the anterior pituitary gland. There, the gland releases two hormones called luteinizing hormone or LH and follicle-stimulating hormone, or FSH. These hormones travel in the blood to the ovary, where they act on both the fecal and granulosa cells of the developing follicle. These hormones work together to produce mainly estrogen before ovulation during the follicular phase, and mainly progesterone after ovulation during the luteal phase. Progesterone has a negative feedback effect on GnRH to reduce it and keep its frequency in normal range which in turn keeps LH and FSH at correct ratios. This enables regular ovulatory cycles and menstruation on a monthly basis. There are several proposed mechanisms underlying the pathophysiology of PCOS. One proposed pathophysiology places the problem upstream within the HPA axis. When follicles do not release and ovulation does not happen, the corpus luteum is not created, and without a corpus luteum, there is no surge in progesterone. Less progesterone means a lack of negative feedback on GnRH, resulting in a higher frequency of GnRH release from the hypothalamus. This increased pulse frequency leads to increased production of LH over FSH, as LH is more responsive to the higher pulse frequency than FSH. FSH is important for follicular development to prepare for ovulation. When FSH levels are lower than LH, follicles do not progress to the ovulation phase, and instead form cysts. Higher LH is also responsible for producing more androgens than estrogen, causing symptoms of hyperandrogenism. A second proposed mechanism places the problem in the peripheral tissues, with the conversion of adrenal androgens, known as androstenedione, into estrone, at the level of peripheral adipose tissues. Estrone is capable of sensitizing the pituitary gland and causing it to hypersecrete LH, which stimulates the fecal cells and increases ovarian androgen production. Thirdly, 
There has been growing interest in the association between high androgen levels and hyperinsulinemia. Hyperinsulinemia with insulin resistance is considered one of the most important factors that predispose people with ovaries to PCOS because it promotes hyperandrogenism and chronic anovulation by multiple mechanisms. Insulin, in fact, increases LH secretion and decreases levels of sex hormone binding globulins, SHBGs which in turn increases the fraction of unbound circulating androgens. It also decreases androgen clearance, diminishes aromatase activity, and enhances androgen actions in the adrenal glands and ovarian fecal cells. Overall, the combination results in higher levels of circulating androgens and emergence of PCOS symptoms. Alright, so now that we've talked about the basic physiology, let's talk about the approach. Recall that the diagnosis of polycystic ovary syndrome, PCOS, is made if two of the three following criteria are met. Ovulatory dysfunction, androgen excess, or polycystic ovaries. Therefore, PCOS is a very heterogeneous condition in both symptoms and exam findings, which may contribute to significant delays in diagnosis. It is also a diagnosis of exclusion, and disorders that mimic the clinical features of PCOS must be excluded. As such, it is particularly important to do a full history and examination when examining a patient for PCOS. While PCOS is often a diagnosis made in the clinic setting, your first step in any patient encounter will be to assess whether your patient is stable or not. Are their ABCs stable? What are their vitals? One of the symptoms of PCOS can be irregular menstruation which may manifest as severe menorrhagia. Albeit rare, such patients can be severely anemic on presentation, requiring resuscitation. On history, it is important to characterize the degree of ovulatory dysfunction. A normal menstrual cycle lasts roughly 21 to 35 days. It should prompt you to investigate if a woman comes in complaining of changes in their cycle length, including cycle lengths of greater than 35 days, known as oligomenorrhea, or a complete stop in menstruation known as amenorrhea. Another common clinical complaint may be infertility. Keep in mind, however, that there are many other differential diagnoses to consider in a woman of reproductive age coming in with changes to their menstruation. This includes pregnancy, hypothalamic amenorrhea, prolactinoma, hypothyroid or hyperthyroidism, medication use such as OCP and IUD, non-classical adrenal hyperplasia, and endometrial cancer. As such, a full history is important to ensure we do not miss another potentially sinister condition. A patient with PCOS may also present with symptoms consistent with elevated circulating androgens. Outside of menstrual changes, this includes hirsutism, or the development of terminal hair in the male distribution, and acne. If they also complain of rapidly deepening voice, male pattern baldness, or male muscle pattern, this should promptly concern you for symptoms of virilization and follow up with abdominal imaging to rule out a potentially malignant tumor involving the adrenal gland or ovaries is suggested. As insulin resistance has also been suggested to play a role in development of PCOS, other risk factors associated with PCOS include people with ovaries who have a personal history of obesity or diabetes, and family history of PCOS and diabetes. On physical exam, look for cutaneous manifestations of PCOS, including hirsutism. The Fairman-Galway Hirsutism Scoring System is available online for reference. 
but in brief, there are nine body areas that are most sensitive to androgens. This includes commonly the upper lip, chin, chest, and back. Other signs include acne, alopecia, acanthosis nigricans, and central obesity. PCOS is a diagnosis that can be made clinically based on a history of hyperandrogenic chronic anovulation, as well as biochemically with androgen assays or with ultrasound examination of the ovaries. Guidelines do not endorse the need for universal screening with androgen assays or ultrasound if patients already meet two of the three criteria clinically. If they do not meet criteria clinically, biochemical markers would include elevated DHEAS, androstenedione, and testosterone levels. While not necessary, levels of LH and FSH can be added. In PCOS, the LH and FSH ratio is often greater than 2. Disorders that mimic PCOS are comparatively easy to exclude with blood tests. Don't forget to order a beta-HCG to ensure the patient is not pregnant. Other mimickers include hyperprolactinemia, which can present with amenorrhea or hirsutism, thyroid disease, which can present with irregular menstrual cycles, and non-classic congenital adrenal hyperplasia, which can present with virilization. Therefore, all people with ovaries suspected for PCOS should be screened with a TSH, prolactin, and 17-OHP level. In select people with ovaries who present with amenorrhea, virilization, or physical findings not associated with PCOS, further tests may be required. This includes patients with proximal muscle weakness, or violaceous striae, which would prompt you to think of Cushing syndrome, and follow-up with midnight salivary cortisol and or dexamethasone suppression test. Other rare causes, such as acromegaly, should be thought of if a patient has frontal bossing or increasing shoe or glove size and can be screened with an IGF-1 level. Lastly, PCOS can be associated with other metabolic syndromes, and patients should be screened for dyslipidemia and diabetes with a lipid panel and HbA1c or fasting glucose. In terms of imaging, a pelvic ultrasound can be done to look for polycystic ovaries. However, this may not be necessary if the patient already has clinical or biochemical evidence of anovulation and hyperandrogenism already meaning two out of the three criteria. Treatment for PCOS depends on symptoms and patient preference. Non-pharmacological therapy includes modifying lifestyle factors such as exercise and weight loss for those who are overweight or obese. First-line pharmacological management for both menstrual abnormalities and symptoms of hyperandrogenism is hormonal contraceptives, which have been shown to treat both problems concurrently. Also ensure to screen for contraindications for hormonal contraceptives before prescribing these to patients. For hirsutism, other medications can include spironolactone or finasteride. Mechanical removal of hair, such as laser therapy, may provide benefit, albeit costly. However, the medications described are contraindicated in patients who are wishing to get pregnant. For those who have issues with infertility, medical induction of ovulation with medications such as clomiphene citrate in conjunction with metformin or letrozole may be of benefit. They should also be referred to a fertility specialist for consideration of other therapies and in vitro fertilization. 
Moving on to our Medicine Minute. PCOS is not only an endocrine or gynecologic disorder. It has been linked to significant psychiatric morbidities for both mothers with PCOS and their child's neurodevelopment. This is highlighted by a 2018 retrospective cohort study by Dr. Burney and colleagues published in the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism. In over 17,000 patients with PCOS, up to 23% of patients had concurrent clinical depression and 11% with anxiety. Hyperandrogenism was also correlated with increased risk of ADHD or ASD in children born to patients with PCOS. This history highlights the importance of screening people with ovaries with PCOS for psychiatric disorders and ensuring they receive adequate management and follow-up. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled An Approach to PCOS. This episode was written by Dr. Su Yun Shen, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Shoba Sujana Kumar, endocrinologist, and Dr. Rupal Shah, general internal medicine. The Internetwork series was created and executively produced by Dr. Allison Wai, alongside executive producers Zara Morali and Leah Karnopoulos. This podcast was recorded by Zara Morali and produced by Kira Liblick, medical student. Theme song by Laxman's Vantha Mohan. If you liked this podcast, please like and subscribe at wherever you get your podcasts. Please go to our website for an associated infographic on PCOS. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope to see you again soon.